This Three Beards Media podcast is sponsored by Revelton Distilling Company. When Rob and Chrissy Taylor started following the Kentucky Bourbon Trail in 2012, they fell in love with not only bourbon, but the entire distilling process. Just eight short years later, in 2020, Revelton Distilling Company was opened, offering an entire family of products, including vodka, gin, whiskey, and Revelton Shine. Come visit the tasting room at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, where you can sample one of their many spirits, including four gold medal winners. Can't make it to Osceola today? Not a problem, as you can pick some up at your local Hy-Vee or Fairway grocery stores. Follow Revelton Distilling on Twitter or Instagram at ReveltonDC or their website www.reveltondistilling.com. This Three Beards Media podcast may contain mature themes, and if you're not down with that, we got three words for you. Like the podcast. Nailed it! Would you like to sample some of my nuts? <laughs> All right. Uh this is fun. I think this is a a chance for us to to do something new and if we're trying to figure this out. I apologize for people who may be actually watching uh any stream for the the video being a little bit wonky. Um we're still kind of figuring out the kinks on this. But anyway, this is <laughs> old man strength a podcast of Three Beards Media brought to you by Revelton uh, Distilling Company, and we are broadcasting from the Betfred Sportsbook Studios. I am Tim Johnson, joined, as always, by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing tonight? Uh, we're doing all right. It looks like it's actually going to be spring outside, uh, so uh, I'm excited to uh, to enjoy the warm weather and, uh, and get this week started. How are you? Uh, you know, we went from winter to uh three days of summer and then right back to winter and so now we are in minnesota spring finally which means that it's going to be 50 and rainy until june and then we'll have uh four of the most miserable months of heat and then we'll go right back into the snow so um because because i live in a paradise <laughs> <laughs> um, I still don't understand why you moved there, but then again, maybe I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. There, there is, there is that. Um, anyway, um, yeah. It's, it's been, it's been uh, kind of a little extended break for our listeners, just because we've had things moving around. I have a lot uh, going on. I'm trying to to buy a house at the moment, uh, as well as work being crazy with. Uh, some staffing changes. So it's been, it's been, it's been a couple of weeks. <laughs> it's been, it's, it's been a lifetime in, in, in the past uh, 10 or 12 or whatever days. And it will be for the next, who knows how long, but it's, it's good. It's good. Um, yeah. yeah. I, well, I don't want to, I don't want to fart around too much. 
at the the jump here, I want to res- be very respectful of our guest time. And Chris, as always, I will let you go ahead and introduce our guest. Yeah, so tonight uh, we uh, don't normally record on Sunday, but we wanted to accommodate our guest uh, schedule who was kind enough to take time out of his weekend to hop on with us. Uh, we have a uh, news anchor from Channel 13 here in local uh, central Iowa, Elias Johnson on. Elias, thanks for hopping on Old Man Strength with us. We really appreciate it. Hey, getting older as the day goes. So <laughs> I feel, I feel like, <laughs> you know? So thank you for having me. Uh, if I would have flexed like that, I probably would have pulled a muscle. So <laughs> I'll feel <it> tomorrow. <laughs> but Elias, that was a that was a short, tiny little uh, uh, intro. Uh, I know you've got uh, a lot more credentials than that. Uh, we appreciate you. You know, you're on a podcast that is professional. Dan McCarney called us professional, so let's <laughs> remind our listeners of that. But what are you, we're going to run that to the ground. We are absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, so, why don't you give uh, people that may not know, be familiar with all of your um, all of your credentials, uh, your background? Uh, sure. I was a. <clears throat> excuse me. I I grew up in Manson, Iowa. Small. I was a farm kid. Grew up, that's just west of Fort Dodge, down Highway 7, about 16 miles, and uh, went to high school here in, in, in the great state of Iowa, little class 1A. I was a, a golfer, a wrestler, a football player, really loved the sport of wrestling a lot. <clears throat> I was uh, I was pretty decent golfer, though, so I, I did two sports when I graduated from high school at Iowa Central. I actually went on scholarship to golf at Iowa Central, and then I walked on the wrestling team, mostly because I was, I gained my freshman 15 in like two weeks. <laughs> I gained that in eighth grade, by the way. I was, I was living with uh, one of the guys, one of the star guys that was a big recruit out of Omaha, uh, was living with me in the dorm, and he'd go to practice, and he's like, you should just come to practice. So I started doing that, and then I just fell in love with it all over again, because it, it was just a whole different level of competition especially Iowa Central, you know, they're known for some of the big stars that don't quite qualify to go to a Division One school because they got to get their associates. And so the talent was huge. Uh, competition was great. And so I uh, I really fell in love with the sport of wrestling, still, still did the golf thing. But then when I had the chance after the first year to uh, go to Arizona State after my first year at Iowa Central, I took that uh, most, mostly because my, my teammate, Kane Velasquez, who's a uh, you know, a UFC heavyweight champion and has been in the news, you know, in the last uh, year or so I to walk on with him. And so I did and included him a little bit down at ASU and, and uh, was able to go to broadcasting school at the Walter Cronkite school. Uh, did really well with that and um, took my first job back here in Des Moines when Fox 17 was still doing news there. I was a cub reporter there. And went to Phoenix after that, got out of the business. I was a PIO for a sheriff's office, then got back into the broadcasting in Reno, and then eventually was recruited to come back and work for WOI-TV as the morning anchor, and uh, left the business after six and a half years again, had my own media company, and within the last eight months, uh, was recruited to come back again as the evening anchor at Channel 13. Uh, in a nutshell, it's kind of it's kind of how I, how, in a light warp speed version of kind of where I started and, and where I'm at now. Was that, was being a, a, 
a journalist and TV uh, personality something that you, you thought you knew you wanted to do as a kid? No, not at all. I was going to, I'm actually a pretty good sketch artist and I was going to go to the Brown Institute in Minneapolis when I, when I was going to graduate because art was, I loved it. And uh, I took at Iowa Central that first year, I took a lot of art classes and I realized that was a hobby, not a job that I wanted to do. <laughs> and so I was, I was just, I was a hundred percent into wrestling. I didn't even know what I wanted to do. And it was, it was my old man my dad that said, you got to find a job, dude. You got to find, I'm not, I'm not sending you to college to wrestle. You know, you need to do something, you know, with a career. And he suggested uh, broadcasting. He said, you know, you're a decent looking guy. I got involved with uh, high school speech my senior year at the request of a couple teachers that said, you know, you got charisma, you can do this. And, you know, I, uh, I was all state. I, I did, phenomenal. I was way better at speech than I ever was in athletics. You know, I, I broke all the school records and speech and improv classes and, and contests. And, uh, so I, I was like, you know, it was more to appease him. It was like, all right, fine. I'll, I'll get into broadcasting. Well, the Walter Cronkite school is one of the top five journalism schools in the country. It's not easy to get into, but, uh, work my way up and in. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny. I actually won, I won the national, the Heisman trophy of there's a, such a thing. It's called the Hearst award. Uh, I actually won that my senior year at Arizona state. And, you know, a lot of that credits to my old man, you know, tell him, give me some guidance and direction on what he saw on me. And, and, and then from there, it's just kind of where it started. You know, I, I, I've had a great career so far. I'm really happy where I'm at. And, uh, but no, I, I never thought I'd be a, you know, a, notable figure or anything like that that i didn't really care about that but uh and i think that's that's what drives me i i, I could care less about being on tv i really i really could i would rather go out in the public and not you know just be inconspicuous and not have people come up to you in the middle of a conversation with a friend or a family member and say hey it's you uh which i love i love it <laughs> i i appreciate it you know because it means they're watching right and um but it would be nice to be able to just go out on the town and, and let loose and not have to, I'm always very guarded when I go out. Um, we just do dinners. We don't, we don't go out to the bar scene. <laughs> Cause I do like, to, I do like to have a good time. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we'll get into that. Uh, I, I read somewhere in some of the stuff that I uh, read on you that part of your, I wouldn't say niche, but part, part of your, you didn't just want to be an anchor, right? You wanted to be able to go out and tell stories, right? So when yeah. you, I think when you came back to 13, that was kind of your deal was, is I, I don't want to just sit at the desk. I want to be able to go out and meet people and tell stories. Yeah. And, and I shoot all my own stuff, you know, mostly I do have the, and I'll always take one of the talented photographers. We have channel 13, but uh, at channel five for that six and a half years, I worked there. Uh, I never had a photographer. So I went out and shot all my own stories and edited and I, I got to learn from some of the very best um, in the country. When I was in Reno, I went to this uh, NPPA conference in Norman, Oklahoma, and they bring in like the best of the best in the world to come teach and critique you and to make you better. And one of the, there's like four guys I met there that were all very accomplished uh, photojournalists. <clears throat> one of them was uh, uh, Steve Hartman, you know, on the road. 
Mm-hmm. His, uh, his main producer photographer, Les Rose, was there. And I got to spend a weekend with that guy learning how to be a good storyteller and why it's important and how to really embrace, you know, what, what it is we do. And, and it's tough for some people to think about having to worry about video and audio and editing and because you're just trying to make sure you're putting the story together right. But I think when you do it enough, you learn how to tell a good story through that video. You know, the, 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 the one thing you'll notice in all of my stories that I do, you rarely ever see my face um, I, just because I, it's not about me. So I, I'm just the narrator. I bridge the sound bites of, that we capture and stuff. So that's kind of my format that I use. But yeah, I mean, being just on the desk all the time would be boring. You know, you're kind of one dimensional when even if you're good at it right and there's some people that that are just what they love what they do but i feel like i'm a lot more impactful when i get to go out and actually tell some stories and i've got one i've got one coming up uh this week on friday i'm gonna be going back home to manson to tell a story of a family who's uh his name was buck bleem he's about late 50s early 60s about four weeks ago he was killed working on a planner in his machine shed that uh, Jack gave way and he was the only one in there working on it. And it, it, it pinned him against the machine shed wall and it killed him. And his son, uh, Alex, who was kind of his understudy at the family farm, found him. And I can't imagine what that was like, but he was such a cool, just a cool dude. I mean, he was like, loved Jimmy Buffett, loved having a good time. Um, and so I was like, you know what? Instead of just running a news story, you know, a local farmer was killed, you know, da 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 da. I'm like, let's go up. I'm going to do a profile about how his son is lacing up the boots. He's going to take over the family farm now. His cousin and his uncle are going to come help him get the plant, get the get the soybeans and the corn in. And so I'll be there Friday as they plant and uh, interview his wife, and then Alex and the family, and then his best friend who's the head superintendent in Manson, just about how cool he was. And that's where I get, that's where I feel like I'm, I make a difference and an impact because I get to honor the life of somebody that I know personally was a good dude, but we get to show other people just the value of family, community, you know, agriculture is so big in the state, the love they have for it and the importance of it. But, uh, the fact that you just you honor people that are impactful, especially in small town Iowa, because, you know, there's not a lot of people in town. Right. So when you lose somebody that's a key figure that everybody looks up to and loves, um, it's a great opportunity to be able to honor him. So, you know, that's a, that's the next big story I'm going to do. So uh, Manson is probably what, 1200 people. How big is Manson? That's not a bad estimate. You know, I'm not. <laughs> The census doesn't ever get much better. It usually just goes. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm from a town of twenty seven hundred people, so uh, that's that's the big city. Uh, we we were a two A. Yeah, you're big time. Brag. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it is it is it is a very adorable town that very much feels. Yeah, I've, I've been there, believe it or not. Um, uh, but it does it does definitely have a sort of feel a lot like just about any small town in in Iowa in a lot of ways. And so those stories, I think, uh, can be really relatable and really translate to a broader audience um, pretty well, I would think. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the challenge is, is telling in a way that, that does that, you know, um, but it's not hard, right? Like, I've got all the 
got all the characters I need to tell the story and the visuals. <laughs> and I'm going to go up and, and I, I could have requested a photographer for this, but I think it's kind of weird for the family to bring in somebody they don't know. You know, it's kind of the one challenge with small town. There's a trust and there's a, you know, access that you get when they know you. And so I'm going to go up and shoot that myself and uh, put it together. And, um, but yeah, it, it's, um, I love doing it. I, I just, I, it's hard to do it every day. Cause I, you know, I have obligations to be on the five, six and 10 o'clock news. Right. But for one day they're going to, I won't be on the desk that day and I'll just be shooting. And then in between newscasts for the next week or so, I'll be putting it together and there'll be some promotions on it. And, uh, luckily I don't have to do any of that stuff, which I used to do at channel five too, but, uh, it's a great team that surrounds you. And I know it's going to be impactful and <clears throat> give you all the feels, right? The whole <laughs> point of all the stories you want to give you all the feels. So that's, I think you'll get them. Is, is there, is there something that you think about growing up in a small town like that, that kind of gives you a, a different sensibility to, to telling stories? I just think you, you keep it real, right? You, um, there isn't a whole lot of noise. We wish there was more noise in small town, Iowa. But, you uh, say, there, there also, are, there are also aren't a whole lot of secrets in small towns. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a fart in church, you know, anything you do, everybody's got it. And, um, I love it. Though. I love going back home. My wife, she grew up in Connecticut, like 45 minutes out of Manhattan. She was a, she was a big city girl. Right. And I remember when I took her home for the first time, we're driving down highway seven, we're about to come into town. And she's like, you said you're from a small town. And I said, yeah, I am. She's like, you got skyscrapers here. <laughs> <laughs> those? Said, yeah, I go, those are those are grain elevators. <laughs> there are offices on every floor. That's <laughs> all full of grain. That ain't full of and so <laughs> I got I still get a chuckle out of that. Oh. That's that was the difference oh. between my my wife and I growing up. And after so, going there and meeting people, she's like, ah, now I understand why you are the way you are. <laughs> which, which, which is sort of, sort of backhanded, sort of a little bit of both, like a, a right. good and yeah. bad. Yeah, no, I like that. It just sounds like a typical wife response. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, but I, I, I can, you know, plead ignorance on a lot of things because of that, too. I'm like, I, I, small town kid, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. So, so you kind of mentioned, you know, in the intro or whatever, like how, how many different places have you lived now throughout your, your, your life and career? Cause you've, you've bounced around a couple places, yeah. not just in central Iowa. Yeah. And, and the really cool part about every place I've gone is, is, uh, you know, I was wanted, right. I had somebody reaching out to me saying, Hey, we like what you do. We want you to come here. And so the, the big jump and I needed it to happen because I was at 13. I mean, I was at channel 13 before I left for Phoenix and the only, I, I just needed to make a career jump and, and I had gotten some awards and been recognized and my name was starting to get out there and the timing was right. And I had a written into my contract that, you know, it was, it was supposed to be a two year deal. And right about the end of the first year is when I decided to go and in my contract, it was, you can leave if you can get to a top 15 market, which a lot of places when you're a young person, they're like, sure, throw it in there. That's not easy to do. Right. 
right. like put in the top 15 market. You know, he's, he's been doing this for a year and a half. And so when we had just had, um, not by plan, it was always part of the plan, but the timing wasn't this. We, we, uh, we got pregnant three months after we got married. Uh, my wife and I, Pretty cool. and so we had our, yeah. we had our son, he was born here in Des Moines and you know, you get that, that's just so much more pressure to provide. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, and so I, I needed, I needed to, to get out just to, just to, I needed to provide. So when I had that opportunity yeah. I went to Phoenix and I lived in Gilbert, bought our first house there. Um, and it was a great timing because it was 2008 is when, um, the move started happening. Of course, that's when the the mortgage crisis happened. Yep. Everything melted down. <clears throat> Phoenix is a market that I mean, right now it's it's it'd be unaffordable for us to go there based on equity we have in our house compared to what you get down there. And so we bought a house that was a flip that for like one hundred and eighty thousand bucks in Gilbert, which is that's that, unheard of. That house is now worth four and a quarter. Yeah, that's unheard of. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I. It trust me, if if I could give younger me any advice, it would be to not buy the house I did in two thousand five, but yeah. wait three more years. Uh for sure. So yeah, so we we put our roots in there and then um I worked at the TV station, uh the CBS affiliate for almost two years and then I left a few months early because again I had the sheriff of Pinell County, I'd done some stories with them and they needed a new media person. They needed somebody that could run a camera and go out and visually tell stories. Well, how cool is that? Right. Yeah. Like I get, I basically, it's like, I get to be our version of cops with deputies and oh my God, was that a cool job for almost two years going out with uh, federal agents and chasing down drug cartels and drug loads and stash houses and lookout scouts on mountains. And my wife hated it. She actually hated that I was getting embedded with these guys, but I loved it. I loved every minute of that and working with people in law enforcement. And so I still stayed in Gilbert while I did that job. And then um, our sheriff um, decided to run for Senate. And, you know, you find out real quick that when you work for an elected official, that your job security is kind of it's not there. Right. Like you better hope the next person really loves you. And so I got out and. I went to Reno because I, I missed the news business. I really missed the broadcasting and storytelling and, <laughs> and I was pretty, pretty good at it. And so I had the opportunity to go to Reno and actually be a news anchor in the evenings there. And I did that and did really well. And, and then, then, then I got recruited to come back to Des Moines and, you know, what a cool opportunity to kind of put down the, you know, big boy roots, right. As a, yep. as a broadcast professional at, at channel five, when they rebranded it and, it's always nice to feel wanted, you know, and yeah. they took care of me and gave me what I needed. And, you know, that lasted six and a half years until the company was sold. And then, you know, had new ownership. And I just, I just felt like it was a good time to, to leave and not get up at three in the morning anymore to go to work. And, um, and that last year that I've been doing my own, my own thing has been great, but you know, you get an opportunity to take over a chair that John Bachman and Dan Winters sat in. You, you, you should probably take that opportunity. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, and you get to work with Ed Wilson and Keith Murphy and Aaron Kiernan and Janae Town and Jerry Ann and everybody there. I mean, there's not one person, and I know this because we just had an employee survey. There's not one person that anybody looks at in the building and says this place would be better without you. It's always the opposite. When somebody leaves, you're like, 
God, this sucks because, you know, those are big shoes to fill. And that's a, that's a nice problem to have, even though it's a problem. Right. That's the reality of where I work right now is it's like, how blessed am I to, to be surrounded with just awesome people that are great at what they do and they take care of you. That, um, that, that the people that have left here recently kind of leads me into a question that I, that I had. I mean, obviously you took over for Dan Winters. Uh, Dave Price just announced last uh, the last few days that he's going to to move on. Uh, there's been a, f- a few other high profile <clears throat> people that that have moved on, and from the outside looking in, <clears throat> your job looks really a lot harder than it used to be. Um, with sometimes the the attack on journalism and the integrity of journalists and yeah. and and things like that. <clears throat> Do you see that in on your end? Tell me a little bit about what has changed in that industry. Um, because I personally think that the the right to a free price is probably one of the biggest things that we're in danger of losing because of the attack on on journalism, yeah. and 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 the you know the attack on on the truth. I think I think the advent of network news stations really kind of screwed it up a little bit because mm-hmm. I mean. When you turn on MSNBC, you know what you're going to get. When you turn on Fox News, you know what you're going to get. CNN, it used to be kind of a down the middle, right? And then we know that, especially with when Trump was in office, um, you know, every, everything just got so, this is the line in the sand, and this is, you're either here or you're there. And, you know, I try to tell people, I'm like, local news, like, it's not like that, right? Yeah. Like, we don't, we yeah. don't go into a story. To pick we don't pick stories based on what are people you know uh, you know what what are what do our what does the audience want to hear it's like what does the audience need to hear what's important you know there's still a very genuine journalistic integrity bedrock that exists with local news and if you lose that there's a reason i know that that we're in the constitution right our profession is protected in the constitution it's important to be able to call out people and to challenge people and because you're challenging somebody it doesn't matter if they have a d or an r next to their name you're challenging them because you want to know the answers and the truth and because if something's going wrong um that impacts us all right especially at a local level and yeah i mean the the coverage and the amount of people that watch network and it's well done right i mean it looks nice you got you got good looking people the, the picture looks good the stories are very well put together and and you know local news it's a little different right mm-hmm. but and so that's why i think people judge us and expect us to be like them right and i mean we get you look at dave dave's been accused of being a hardcore democrat and a hardcore republican you know like right act on both sides <clears throat> you know on any story he does because of fact that he's maybe challenging somebody right because this is job but right people make it so partisan that it does make it tough and you know he, and it's not that dave's not tough that's not why he's leaving you know, he's just ready after 20 plus years he's he just knows that he wants to go do something else and i'm sure he's probably got something cooking you know he's a smart guy right Love dave. he's so good at what he does again big shoes to fill i mean you don't you don't replace dave you you got to try to find something new now there's no replace just like there's no replacing Dan Winters. You know, people are like, I'm like, I'm not replacing Dan Winters. And Dan Winters didn't replace John Bachman. Mm-hmm. 
you don't replace somebody. It's just you're something new now, and hopefully what you do adds value. And that still makes Dan great. That makes Bachman great. That makes Dave great. You know, you don't you don't ever try to go into somewhere to replace somebody. And that's always been my mindset because we're different. We're all very different. So I mean, you you mentioned ownership group changing uh, at at Channel Five. Uh, I think one thing that I've noticed when I see changes in local news happen here in the Twin Cities, it's because of who ownership groups are and maybe activities uh, outside of just journalism that they they get involved in larger. Uh, national brands are coming in and buying up a lot of, of, of these more kind of intimate local or, or community connected uh, uh, pieces. Do you, do you think that's something that is going to continue to have an impact on, on local journalism? Um, and, and if so, what? I think the biggest challenge with local stations is, you know, not as many people are rabbit ears watching like they used to. Yeah, And so for the past decade, if they're smart and they are because they're still relevant, they've been trying to find out how to monetize digital podcasts, um, video plays, advertising, selling advertising there because the revenue dependent stream that used to be over the air is, is, has changed. Right. And so you have to take a different approach. And I know our, I know our sales folks are, and even our news approach, it's like, Back in the day, it's like you never tweeted out or put out a story before you put it on air first. Well, now it's the opposite. Now you go digital because that can lead people to your news channel, whereas you thought it'd be the other way around. And so it's been an evolution of where are you getting the eyeballs? Where are people mm-hmm. watching? Mm-hmm. You you know, where, where's the opportunity to sell advertising? <clears throat> right? that's, that's, it's a business, right? We got to sell advertising. They don't have any impact on our stories we do or the choices we make. And sometimes we even have to report on places that do business with Channel 13, right? Whether it's Fairway, yeah. hy you know, big brands, you know, sometimes they have layoffs and stuff and you still report on it. Yeah. You don't even question reporting on it. But the big, the big change has been where can you find these revenue streams? And luckily, you know, the political ad revenue has still been nice here in Iowa. I mean, kind of worried. We're, I know people are kind of worried with, the Democrats choosing South Carolina over Iowa. Yeah. First, you know, that's a, that's a mm-hmm. big hit. That's a really big hit. Um, that brought in a ton of money and yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that the Democrats still just choose to go first anyway, and they may lose some delegates, but you know, it's in our, it's in our state constitution. We have to go first. So I just, I hope, I hope that they do that. Um, I really do. Uh, I just think it's too important for our state just on that standpoint. I don't think, you know, I don't think anything bad about South Carolina and their ability to pick a candidate and just, but I don't think we, we do a bad job either. Um, it's just different. And I like the tradition and yeah, it's a, it, it would stink to have that revenue go away too, you know, because, you know, you base your budgets and your decisions off being able to have that come in and, but luckily it still has been coming in and Republicans are still here doing that. And so you know, it happens. I, I think a lot of people that that complain about the political ads and there and there's no shortage of it. Uh, even to my point, don't realize that when you don't have those, that can affect people's livelihoods and jobs. Yeah, I mean it's it's part of our budget, right? Yeah. Um, 
I always tell the salespeople, if I ever see a salesperson, I always say hi, I shake their hand, you know, because I know that uh, if you're happy and we're doing something that you can sell, you're happy, right? Like you're mm -hmm. the hand that feeds. And, um, and our sales team is fantastic. I love all those people as well. And they're, they're working their butts off to find new partnerships and people that hopefully we can elevate through what we do. And, you know, it's always a, it's always a partnership when it comes to uh, that side of the building, which I'm obviously not involved in at all. And I don't want to be, um, but I'll support <laughs> <and tell> them, <laughs> hug or a five whenever I see because, uh, you know, if, if they're not getting, if they're not making deals, we're not getting paid. Well, yeah, I mean, because you brought up the the fact that people aren't using the rabbit ears anymore. And, and that's one thing that I think I hadn't really thought about. Right. So the the impact of streaming services on TV in general, you know, you hear a lot of people in television, like, for instance, you know, primetime sitcoms and dramas talk about how uh, really good numbers today would have gotten you canceled immediately 10 years ago. Uh, because people just consume things differently. Yeah, they with do. social with with social media, people consume news differently. I certainly get more of my of my news from from Twitter than I do from from TV news programs anymore. It's just it is it has changed the way it has, and I hadn't really even thought about the impact, particularly on local journalism because of the fact that we have all of these other ways to get that information because now we there's not you know we used to talk about like a 24-hour news cycle i news goes stale in 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 a matter of of hours if not minutes sometimes because people have already changed these things and so you don't tune into the evening news to catch that up by the time it's the 10 o'clock news you probably heard about it in six different venues uh yeah. earlier yeah, it's, it's just something I, I, I hadn't thought about to digital first, you know, because they're going to see it there right away. Right. And that's that's what's changed, you know, and we all know we don't like to be hamstrung by a clock. Right. You know, yeah, people don't right. care about their day to be like, you know, aside from my dad tonight, he's like, you know, 60 minutes. We got to watch 60 minutes. Let's put 60 minutes on. You know? <laughs> Turn off uh, Disney Plus. Yeah, we're going to watch 60 minutes. You know? Dad, you know, we can TiVo that or we can just take that and then and then skip through the commercials. We can do all that. But it's, it's changed because people, you know, if you want to know something, we're in a world where you can do it. You can search it and find it, yep. the information, and it's, it's changed. And the consumer how they consume it's changed. I don't think they've gone away from wanting to understand and, and, and be informed, but they're not going to change their schedule around to sit for 30 minutes and, and, and listen. Now, weather is different. Weather is still one of the biggest things that people will tune in for. And because, you know, you want to know, especially in our state, um, especially if you're a farmer or somebody that has to be outside, you want to know what it's going to be like tomorrow. So, um, but again, you can go to the website and see, you know, that presentation as well. So uh, the, con the the need to consume hasn't changed, but how they're consuming it has changed drastically. And it's still changing with the older generation, you know, not being able to consume as much anymore. And then you got the new generation that's kind of hard to figure them out, you know. And I, 
I don't envy the people that are in charge of researching that because I, I don't know how the streaming thing works. I know we stream now on different platforms, but there's still agreements that have to be done. And, um, and you know, there's just like there has been with retransmission fees with uh, cable companies that cover us. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know what that side is like, but. Man, it's been a renaissance, I'm sure. And you have to try to just know what's going on because you still run a business at the end of the day. No, absolutely. Um, speaking of running a business, uh, we are going to go ahead and take a quick second to get a word from our sponsor, Revelton Distilling Company. I do want to jump back in and learn a little bit more about the new landscape of news. As as you see it, uh, you're, what you're excited about, what you're afraid of with all of this. So more with Elias Johnson when we get back from this break. At Revelton Distilling Company, everyone has become a part of the Revelton family. From the Taylors and their daughter who helped perfect their award-winning gins, to the team who installed Lucy, our 33-foot-tall custom-made still, right down to the local farms that provide our coveted corn, and even the cows on those farms who consume our mash byproduct. Want to see the farm to flask come to life? Now you can tour Lucy and find out where we take Iowa's harvest and transform it into our finest spirits. Choose between a 45-minute tour or find out even more by scheduling a VIP behind-the-scenes tour to get the taste of the full Revelton experience. You can visit them at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, or find all of Revelton's award-winning spirits at any local grocery or spirits retailer. You know, I always say when we come back from a break, um, that, uh, welcome back in case you don't remember what you're listening to. But at, at this point, if you're this far into a podcast, you should probably remember what you're listening to. <laughs> Although it is old man strength. And sometimes I think that Chris has already forgotten what he's participating in as well. So again, yeah. this is <laughs> old man strength. I don't even know. Uh, our, guest, our guest, in case you, you, you know, uh, nodded off uh, because Chris is so boring earlier. Um, our guest is Elias Johnson. Elias, we were talking right before the break uh, about that new landscape of news consumption. I appreciate, first of all, I want to say, I appreciate your uh, your comment that people have not lost the appetite for this, right? Uh, if anything, I think there's a bigger appetite. It's just now having to figure out how, how to get that message out in a way that a people want to consume and b probably more importantly the way people can trust and i always tell i just had a conversation with my boss my news director the other day um you know people love their series on netflix they love to watch you know the hbo some zombie show that just came out I don't know the name of it. I've watched the Last it. of Us, I think. Uh, the Last of Us. Yeah. And I watched that with my wife. I loved it. Great story. We get it at Bernie's. Another great one. <laughs> Tim's Tim's last dating life. Wow. 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 So I, I, told him, I said, uh, you know, the reason why people love those shows is the stories, right? It's the storyline. And it's yeah. shot and edited very well. And so I I my challenge, even when I was at five, when they were like, you know, how do we get ratings up? How do we get people to watch what we produce? 
said, you have to understand what people are expecting, right? It's got to look good, you know, number one. But it also has to have a story structure. And even if, you know, we're talking, you're watching a series on Netflix that's hours and hours long. Um, you know, people's attention spans are so little. Like, you better be good because they're going to give up on you real quick if it's not. I said, we got to stick to the script when it comes to a story and how to present the story. Like, don't try to reinvent a story structure, right? Um, have your characters. And we talk about that in post. You know, every after every newscast, we sit down and we, we talk about each story we did. What did we like? What did we not? Sometimes it's like, you know, we'll look at a story that one of our folks produced and it's like, there's no real people, you know, like story yeah. structure wasn't there, you know, like it could have been, could have been better. You know, and we have those honest conversations daily and, and we follow up with those folks that are in charge of producing that content. Um, you know, you, you, you miss this um, and you have to continue to do that because I think the expectations uh, of people are higher now on the quality and, um, they just, they expect more, right? And so right. if you want to captivate that audience and get them to follow you like a Netflix show or a, anything, um, it, it you got to produce something that's quality and you, you should always learn what makes the quality better, but you don't have to change the story structure. You know, you still have to have the characters, you still have to have character development, you still have to have conflict, you have to have some sort of rev resolution or a what's next, you know? Yeah. I go back to what's your favorite children's book, whether it's green eggs and ham or there was always a conflict, right? Dr. Seuss. I mean, dude always knew how to put a conflict in a story. Right. And conflict resolution, like it's the, it's the story structure should be up to a climactic, you know, part. And so I, whenever I do seminars or talks with people, I'm like, just don't get away from story structure. It's never, you've never, you don't have to reinvent that. You know, our brains haven't evolved where we expect something else. We expect a, a story structure, right? But we also have mm -hmm. to accompany that with quality video, um, tracking that is, you know, conversational. I think that's why maybe when I stepped into 13, people were like, you know, we kind of like this guy. He's okay. Because I'm pretty normal, like, on the air. Like, I'm, I'm kind of out there, but I'm, and I'm corny and I'm bad dad jokes, you know? You know, well, then I make you fun fit in perfectly with this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Right, those are great. But you just, you know, be real. Don't talk down to people. Don't use words people don't use. Real talk and don't mess up the story structure, but produce it well. And, you know, that it'll sell. You know, we have people in charge of that that'll sell it. As long as you have the ingredients, they can sell it. You know, it's like a restaurant. If you got the good ingredients and you're making something good, people will come. Um, it's up to them to figure out how to market it and, and sell it. But, uh, um, but it's just been the changing scope of like, well, where do we do that? Where's the best place to kind of target selling all that now? Is it streaming? Is it over the air still? Is it cable? Is it digital? Is it, you know, and, and again, I, I'm not involved on that side and for, you know, we, we can't legally or ethically, but I know they're on top of it and they're researching the heck out of it because there's still an appetite there. There's still opportunities to sell it. It's just a matter of like, how do you do it? Where do you do it? And and at the end of the day, all of our all our salespeople that do business with with people, they want them to succeed. They want them to see results. They want them to not feel like they just threw their money at something, right? And so, you know, that's on our end to make sure that we're still producing quality stuff that uh, people want to watch and that our advertisers are proud to to be a part of. 
This this question from Denny might be kind of close to, to what we're talking about here. How do you get viewers with the competition out there? And you've talked a little bit about that, but uh, on top of that question, uh, not only what Denny's asking, but how do you pick the right stories, right? You, you talked about the story in Manson uh, earlier in the podcast. How do you know what's going to be a good story and how do you, how do you go through the multiple options that you have and then pick something? A lot of it with, you know, so we all have kind of beats, right? So we have Zach Fisher, who's state house, Dave state house and national politics. Roger Riley's big on small town, Iowa stories, uh, unique. And he'll, that dude will drive anywhere in the state. I mean, he'll be oh, I, I mean, he's he'll, all over. I ask him like, what is your playlist look like in your car, dude? Cause <laughs> the radio stations left and right as much as you drive. Um, we know so, a good podcast network he could download and listen right. to. We know. <laughs> ah, look at that, Chris. See? Bravo. Yes, there you go. Thank to... you. Thank you. Well, we got people that know. So like uh, Janae has certain things that she focuses on. Aaron Kiernan is doing a big series on autism right now because her her son is on the spectrum, and it's been incredibly powerful storytelling. It's been unbelievable the amount of work and passion she's put into that, and even put herself and her family out there. Um, so I think you stick to what you know, right? You play to your reporters' strengths and knowledge so that they, you know, you got to understand with reporters, it's like, you don't have to know everything, but you better know something, right? Mm-hmm. You got to come off as at least being knowledgeable. Um, and so a lot of it is like, what, what, what is the best, what's the, what's the best story for that person that day to be able to tell a knowledgeable, well-structured story that covers all the bases <clears throat> people want to watch. And you know, and sometimes something blows up or there's a chase and it changes and it's like, hey, we need to move you to here or whatever. And so breaking news is always that other element you can't plan for fire or something. Sure. It usually gets a lot of views, yeah. right? That's something that people always tune in for is like if something crazy happens, you know, our numbers just go pew, up to yeah. the roof and and we monitor web traffic. And so we, we have a feel, we have a pretty good feel of what type of stories people like. Yeah. Um, and, and we try to we try to cover those in unique ways. But um, I, I love I love outside baseball stuff that maybe maybe you don't even know if somebody that's a great challenge. Right. You don't even know if anybody's going to be interested in it. Like, how can I tell a story about paint drying or something, you know, <laughs> and I'll do it. I, I and that's something that comes with doing it, you know, yeah, almost two decades now. Um love that challenge so but i love to compete too i love to challenge myself and a lot of people that are in this business love that too but um you know you just you just have to whatever you do you just you have to have the right attitude going into it you know like my my attitude's always like i'm gonna knock the crap out of this and i'm I'm gonna do it the best i can visually and just try to sell it and Another skill set you get is you get older, you're pretty good at interviewing people, right? You know how to get certain things out of people with asking the right questions, you know, and it's tough when you're strangers, but. Um, no, hey, hey, I get it. Like, I, I look, I'm not saying that we maybe may or may not have made uh, a prominent athletic director cry on this podcast, um, <laughs> but. Uh, I think, I think twice. I, yeah. Um, but I, I think, I think there is kind of that, that aspect of, um, man, part of what makes something compelling is that people care. Like, well, like you said, you know, it's, it's about the narrative, right? How do you really get people to care? People love reading books and watching movies and watching streaming shows and all of that because there's, there's 
you know, conflict, there's resolution, there's some sort of kind of rapid denouement to kind of wrap things up. Not everything in the news industry always has a perfect little bow, but it can always go to something next. Yeah. Right. You know, you can think about what your, what your cliffhanger is or whatever it is. And it still kind of has those types of moments. Um, who, who do you look up to in this industry? Like who, who are some of the, some of the people Whether they're, they're local, they're national, they're whatever, they're historic. Who, who kind of helps inspire you to do those things? I mean, I, not to be cliche or something like I'm kissing ass, but I, I look up to everybody I work with at 13, you know, I adore Keith Murphy, Ed Wilson, Aaron Kiernan. They, they show up every day and they prove it. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and people like Ed and Keith have been at that station and at what they're doing forever. Like they're they're not just mainstays; they're they're household names at this point. Yep, and they they care about what they do, right? I mean, they care obviously because they want to keep their job, obviously, but they wouldn't be doing this if they didn't care about it. I mean, those guys could both go on and go to other places. Ed or yep. Keith, Keith's had multiple opportunities to go to ESPN. I mean, this was back when ESPN was yep. in the payday. Right. Yeah. How do you turn that down? Right. How do you turn ESPN down back, you know, in the last, you know, 15, 20 years ago when, I mean, you could, he could have said, this is what I want and gotten it. Right. Yeah. Like he, he cared about his kids, his family, he cares about his community. That says a lot about who Keith is. Ed's the exact same way too. He's got the charisma, the ability to go wherever he wants chooses to stay here. Aaron's the same way. Um, so I, I really look up and I really adore my colleagues. And, and that is a hundred percent the reason why I chose to get back into this, into this business at, at uh, 13. Cause I was, I was sad and I was just over it when I left the last place. Um, but I was, I was excited to work with, I knew I'd be in a good place. I knew I'd be in a place where people got your back and they, they're going to allow you to do, be you, do you. I know they liked me and they wanted me, and, and that was a big part of it. But you know, nationally, Steve Hartman, I think, is my all-time favorite reporter. The, the, he, I think he's the best storyteller I've ever come across. Uh, I hope I wish I could just meet him and and talk with him over a beer for an hour, you know, about his life. Um, but there's also some amazing photojournalists that that if if I could be half on air. And as good on air as they are shooting a visual story and they could shoot a story without me tracking anything and just put together a story with sights and sounds they'd probably be better without me in some instances um clint gyrus brian pfizer britta kagi um brandon bingham i mean they're all they're the real deal and to be able to i wouldn't be where i am without knowing those guys you know and without seeing mm -hmm. their work and and the fact they've taken time to collaborate with me and and ask me about things, uh, I I don't know. It, it's uh, it's hard to it's hard to. I got a long list of people that are a big reason that I'm where I'm at because I I to this day look up to them because I knew I, I wouldn't be who I am without them. You know, yep. Um, Bachman was another one, which is how class he was. Um, I don't know. It's it's been awesome. So. Um, those are, those are the folks that just come to my mind, though, that I really look up to. Eva Anderson up at CARE 11. I uh, worked with her at Channel 5, and I got to mentor her. And I, I'm like, 
her biggest thing was like, I want to win an Emmy. I, I really want to win an Emmy. <laughs> <laughs> won four Emmys and I want to finally win an Emmy. And I said, all right, you just, and so we worked together on a few things and she's an MMJ. She shoots her own stuff. She gets out there. We went to the Emmys uh, two years ago and I was up for a couple and she was up for like six. I think she won three at least that night. <laughs> I didn't win any. <laughs> And I was like, All right, son, you're now better than me. Uh, you've, you've taken this too far, Eva. But she's another, she's another person I really look up to. And uh, you should check her out up in the uh, up in the Twin Cities because she's she's awesome. She's amazing. And she looks up to Boyd. Boyd Hubert's another one that I adore. Oh, Boyd, Boyd, Boyd Hubert it, uh, is just absolutely a legend for people that don't aren't familiar with Boyd Hubert. Um that man is a storyteller. The yeah, like he, I've won four Emmys. He's won over a hundred. Yeah, literally, <laughs> literally over a hundred. The, the man is is amazing. Uh, I I've been lucky enough to get to know some some uh, some uh, news and media personalities here in the Twin Cities, and I don't think there's a single person that has a bad thing to say about him in any way, shape, or form. And they all look at him it's as bad. kind of the. He is who he yeah. is. Yeah, and he's sort of the elder statesman of, of, of storytelling here. Um, but one thing that Chris and I had talked about that I wanted to ask you about, uh, and not to say that like Twitter is the be-all, end-all of the universe, but we've seen over – Chris Chris kind of alluded to this earlier um, when he was talking about the, the degradation of trust in, in the press. We certainly saw a previous president uh, use literally uh, – the Nazi slogan of the Lugan Presa uh, to to discuss the press. We talk about this on Twitter and what is going on with, with uh, you know the loss of blue check marks and the the literally anybody can pretend to be anyone else at this point and and there just seems to be we're in this kind of this weird state right now where uh, and we saw with the whole QAnon uh, stuff and the PizzaGate before that of of. Uh, Goes back to the phrase uh, "alternative facts," right? Um, <laughs> we just have uh, kind of an ever-growing culture and a continued-growing culture, and and the blue check marks probably is maybe the most kind of recent thing of of there are things where people feel like there's more than one truth, and ultimately you're in the truth-telling business. So, how how do you guys in the year 2023 and everything that we have? Uh, combat that you know i think it boils down to the bedrock why we do this right it we're trying to find the truth right and yeah it's been tough i mean when when trump was attacking the media he wasn't attacking local media he was going after network media you know because they had such an appetite to challenge him and i'm not saying they shouldn't have challenged him but I think there was some obvious bias going after the guy at some things and but but you know he stoked a lot of trickle down right yeah and yeah. so i mean we'd be at we'd be at events i know that we've been at a couple rallies and you know he invites the media there and then he goes you know he points back and he's like the media there they are you know and then they get booed right that's a crappy, <laughs> that's a crappy feeling as like a little tv guy like you're like, especially when you're in Des Moines, 
yeah. right? These people are your viewers. They turn around and boo you, you know? Yep. And it's yeah. like, what did I ever do to you? <laughs> right? right? Like, I, yeah. I, feel like, I like to think that every day I work for you, you know, and, and I'm with you. I'm trying to help you understand what's going on in the world around you because you're busy, right? You got your job, you got all this stuff, but, you know, you're, here's a resource you can go on to our, our news channel and, and you can see what's going on and, and, and trust that it's true, right? That's the, the bedrock of what we do is truth, right? You have to have trust. And if you lose that trust, just like anything in life, Good luck. Good luck getting it back, especially in today's age, because everything lives online forever. Right. So, yeah, right. Better make sure you better make sure what you're doing is multi-sourced and factually accurate. And you better question even the stuff that they're telling you that maybe even you think you believe is fact, too. But you, you just can't get so bought into this need in today's world of like being first and being so fast on Twitter and on Facebook and on posting something. Cause like once it's out there, it's out there, man, you can't take it back. And even yep. when you correct it, yep. algorithm, that first thing you put out there, it's almost like what you put out to correct is going to be on the back page. You know, nobody's going to see it because and, uh, everybody's reacting to the first tweet. Exactly. And then they're going to yeah. call you a liar and they're yeah. going to, you know, you've lost it. And it yeah. takes a lot to get back. I think of that a lot. You know, I'm, I'm very careful with what I say when I'm on air. We like to have fun and joke around, but um, you'll notice there's certain topics and stories when we come out of, I don't say anything. Right. It's like, we'll be back and check your forecast after this. Because what I love to do is come out <laughs> of have that moment with Ed or Aaron or Keith where we get to talk and laugh like those, those organic. Yeah real right it's real reaction but i mean there's some stories where you're like uh not not even gonna not even gonna go there because yeah you're gonna piss somebody off because they're gonna read your body language or what you know infer something it, and they're gonna think you were doing something that maybe you weren't and so i'm very careful which i know would surprise some people i work with because they know i don't take i don't take myself overly serious i really don't um I, mm -hmm. I don't think I'm a, I don't think I'm a Ron Burgundy big deal at all. I just like to have fun. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be talking to, to, to us two jackasses if, if you took yourself too seriously. So I'm, sure. not saying, I'm not saying that I have had some really good things to say coming out of some of the national parts. <laughs> Most people would probably laugh at, but it's like, I, I'm not even going to rock. I'm not going to rock the boat, you know, right. I'm not rock the boat. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. And so, um it's tough it's it's a it's a really tight rope nowadays because you're, you're trying to i try to put myself on the other side of the camera like somebody watching at home like how are they going to interpret what i'm saying you know and and i always go back to you know i always feel like i'm talking to my people back home you know in small town manson iowa and you know how how would they react to what i'm saying or or you know and so i'm i'm just I try to keep it real. I try to keep it fun and just relatable, you know, like yep. not a stiff, you know, I like to look nice and wear a tie and pocket square and nice hair and all that stuff. But, you know, people that know me, they, you know, they always, they always say like, God, you look good. You know, like you never looked that good growing up. 
you know broken noses and stuff uh, and, uh, uh, no i was I, I was thinking earlier when you said that your dad said you you should go into broadcasting because because you know you're, you're you know good looking and things like that i was like well my dad would always say that but that's only because i look exactly like my dad so the only reason he would ever say <laughs> saying i'm looking more like my old man and i'm like yeah <laughs> but, you know, i grew up as a kid helping him pull pigs and cows and horses and and helping them on calls and stuff. And I think that's probably the number one reason why I decided I didn't want to be a veterinarian. Your life, like we're watching a golf tournament or the NFL, like, you know, we're Vikings fans and uh, you know, so you can have some more pity on us. Um, but it's, oh, like, we'll get to that. We'll be right in the middle of we'll oh, yeah, right yeah, middle yeah. watching something. And it's like the call comes out, we got to go. And then, a cow, you know, has a prolapsed uterus when the calf comes out and it's like a one hour delivery turns into five hours of trying to save the cow. And, yeah. and it's like, and he was, he'd be so pissed. And I was like, I don't want to do that. You know? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I think he also steered me away from, <laughs> I think he kind of steered me away from what he did because he's like, dude, this is tough work. <laughs> this sucks. I broke, I've broken four nose in wrestling. That dude's broken more bones. He broke his back being kicked. I'm like, you get kicked. You get physically assaulted by your clients. You know, like you've been doubled up by rodeo, like a rodeo clown on by your clients when they get out of the shoot, you know, yeah. like that is, that is a yeah. tough way to yeah. live. I mean, I, I worked on, uh, on a dairy farm in high school. Uh, my daughter's mom is a horse vet. Uh, my daughter very much yeah. wants to be, uh, a veterinarian and I don't discourage her from anything whatsoever, but there are sometimes, you know, cause like, yeah, I, again, I remember like having to leave events, like having to leave Thanksgiving dinner because, uh, you know, horses notoriously can't, can't vomit. And so they get cowlick and they, they thrash themselves around and they get all tied up. And, you know, my, my daughter's mom would have to leave like at, 11 o'clock on new year's eve like that's not that's not a fun uh <laughs> fun way for anybody to live uh on any of those no. things and so i feel like i got roped along because my dad was you know he didn't have a partner with him for a long time and so a lot of times i got brought along he was you not because it yeah. was like hey do you want to come along it was more like get your boots we're gone because i'm gonna need yeah. you to yeah. <laughs> need you keep getting the bucket full of warm soapy water you know to, to help yeah i mean my my and I never got my daughter's my daughter's almost eight and she's already seen some pretty dark shit. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen things that, that that whoa. And I mean I was a kid, right? I was a yeah, kid. Yeah, exactly. When you see a prolapsed uterus coming out of a, a mama cow after she gives birth, it's uh <gasps> what is that? Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 and I'll never forget. I'll I'll just tell you real quick, I'll never forget the first time I saw that. My you know, my dad, he's sitting there and he had to put a latch on to the calf to you know, he had his crank out and he's sitting there cranking this thing out because it's everything's swollen, it's not coming out. Yeah, I remember the calf came out and everything else came out with it. It's like, you know, it's like the balloon went inside out, and I just remember him going, Son of a bitch. And I looked over and I was like, oh my God, what is that? And uh, yeah, that's when a little one hour trip to deliver a calf turned into a four hour deal of trying to save mama, you know? Yeah, oh, yeah. No, no. My, 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 
good. My daughter, my daughter knows that between um, uh, her dad working on a dairy farm and her mom being a vet, that both her parents have been shoulder deep inside of an animal. Um, and so, oh, yeah. The, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. So, so I there's very few things that that can shock her in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, which I'd like to think uh, is you know making her stronger. About, I hope dude. not traumatizing her. You know what's funny? <laughs> what's that? that? I've seen. I, you know, I just I described kind of what I saw when we had our when we had our first child, and uh, I, I, <laughs> I knew you were. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> and, and I was in there, and you know, I'm ready to go because this was a. You know, this was a. We had to have her induced. My wife, she was like two or three days over, and it was close to Thanksgiving. So the doctor's like, "We're doing it this day because I'm going to Thanksgiving, and I'm not going to get called out," you know. Yep. And so it's nice for for MDs because they can plan, you know, deliveries. And yep. so we went there, and and so they were going to induce her, and they did. And then it was time for the epidural, and you know, I never thought twice about being in the room for that. And so yeah, the guy came in he's like hey um do you want me to call the nurse in because she my wife was sitting at the edge of the bed and you know he was behind her on the other side of the bed and he's like do you want to hold her or do you want my the nurse to come in and i'm like i got this i'm, the, I'm this is my wife i got her <laughs> so she had her head right here in my chest you know leaning forward i'm holding her so i see i see everything and i saw the size of that needle <laughs> and they put right into her spine. <laughs> and i remember i remember they put it in there and i was like Ugh. Oh, I was like, all right, here we go. Here we go. And I remember they pulled the needle out after they got it in, and there's this little spurt of blood that came out. Yeah. And I remember going, oh, that's messed up. And I remember <laughs> blackness just oh no. I passed, I passed out and I the you know the the delivery rooms at uh where we were at, I think it was um Mercy, it's hardwood floors. And they said it sounded like a bowling ball hit the floor. <laughs> now out. I was completely out. And they had to rush in, put me on a gurney, and take me to ER. It was that bad. And so I was in the ER. Wow. My wife. Wow. And again, I think I'm pretty sure the doctor was like, son of a bitch. Because <laughs> I, I was trying to hold her and she started falling forward. So he had to grab her and they had to redo it. It was terrible. But my dad got the call. It's like, hey, you better get down here quick. Uh, you know, your wife is going to be in labor here in a few hours, but your son's in the ER now. Uh, he's <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying to revive him, but uh, she's yeah. got a severe concussion. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm sure your wife is like, you always have to one up, me, right? Son of a. I saw the farm and still couldn't prepare me for an epidural. Oh, oh man. Oh, that's so funny. Well, I still made it in time for the for the delivery. And uh and I so was there rally. Oh, that's rally. I, saw, I saw all that and it was I had no problems, but there was something weird with the epidural that just the room, I'll never forget it because I've never fainted before. I just remember it just went dark from the outside in. It was like a 16 by 9 screen. <laughs> and then I just remember I remember just going la 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 and then bam, you know. Um, uh, okay. Well, so, uh, I think this, this probably leads to, uh, uh, some life advice. So part of what we like to do on this is because Chris and I know everything, 
um, very clearly, is we clearly. like to also administer advice, but really our guests are the ones who administer advice. So I'm going to go ahead and let Chris introduce a question that I want you to think about. We're going to take a break because this, this question is brought to you by our sponsor, Kyle Lehman at Wintrust Mortgage. And I want him to go ahead and introduce this, and then we'll 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 hear some words uh, about Kyle, and come back, and you can answer this question. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead and tease this thing right now? All right. So, the, your question, Elias, is it's twenty twenty three. You uh, have a time machine that you can go back ten years. What piece of advice are you going to give Elias Johnson in two thousand thirteen? I know you have a new program that is targeted at buyers that are doing a new construction uh, loan or buying a new construction house. Can you touch on that, please? Yeah, so right now, um, it started at the beginning of March. It goes through the end of June, so June 30th. If you go under contract or you lock a rate with us uh, on a new construction home in Iowa, you'll get 1% of your loan amount back in closing costs up to $3,500. You can use that to pay closing costs. You can use that to buy your interest rate down. Uh, it's really there for you to use however you want. That's great. All right, we're back. Elias, that gives you about a good minute here to think of an answer. What's your answer? <laughs> Advice I give to myself 10 years ago. Yeah. Get over yourself. Ooh, I think I that's like the big thing. I like that. Um, and the reason I say that is uh, I, I, I think I just got into Reno by then, right? And I was the evening news anchor. Um, and I let things bother me that I shouldn't have, whether it be schedule or, and I'm, I'm talking about the, um, the impact on my family. Mm -hmm. I would, I would, I would take stuff home. I would take frustration home. Um, and I would never take things out on them, but indirectly I was not present. And I, I let that carry over when I was, uh, when I was at channel five and it wasn't anything at channel five that sucked. It was just the hours like, right. Getting up at 3am and, and it was fine for a few years. And then we had our, we had our, youngest child Michaela was four now and man was that tough like trying to balance just sleep and and that's that's tough when you do the job that I've chosen to do right like I'm supposed to be on and I'm supposed to be hey everybody like I'm I'm starting off your day right I'm Mr. Cheery like everything's great um but everything wasn't great and a lot of it was just because physically it was a really tough thing and I just I got pissed off about it and um, I don't think I appreciated the fact that I was doing what I was doing. I just looked at the negatives and gave myself excuses to be distant when I should have been present. And I wasn't as supportive to my amazing wife who is, I mean, she's moved all over the country for me and for mm -hmm. my job. And granted, I always told her I'm going to be the provider, you know, but, she was also very successful in real estate. She got into the real estate game in Reno. And I mean, if we would have stayed there, she would have been making three times as much as me. 
right? But I told her, hey, let's go back home, better opportunity for the kids, you know, whatever excuse I could come up with. And I mean, I, you know, she walked away from something that was going really good for her, right? And, yeah. uh, and I don't think I thought of that a lot when I was having pity parties about how crappy I felt, you know, about getting up early and having to take care of my kid, you know, when I want to take a nap. And, and so if I could, if I go back 10 years ago, dude, get over yourself, get over, you gotta, you have to understand how important the people at home are and how important it is to be present and engaging with them and not disconnect and want to go upstairs and lay down when you should be downstairs reading to the kids, playing video games with them, being a part of their life, which, um, luckily I've, you know, we've, we've, we've changed. And a lot of it's can because of, uh, you know, conversations and, you know, here's what's fun is, um, people look at, you know, you look at Facebook and everything's like, I got the best life, right? I, I post all the greatest things ever. Um, you know, my wife and I, uh, we have a, a fantastic marriage. Been been uh, married 15 years now. We've been to marriage counseling, I think, three or four times, mm -hmm. right? And it wasn't because we were thinking about getting divorced or whatnot, but it was like something was missing, right? And a lot of it's because I couldn't, I couldn't get over my own crap, you know. And having that outside voice looking in. And also with her being able to communicate with me in an effective way that didn't make me want to shut down and get angry, you know, and um, get over yourself, you know, like there's a bigger picture. There's, there's a more important thing. And so um, I tell, I tell people that I'm like, when they're having troubles, I'm like, do you should go to marriage counseling? And they're like, we're not going to get divorced. And I'm like, I know that's why you should go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, if, you're going, if you're going to save a marriage, like, you might right. be too far gone, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I always, I'm open with that too. I tell people like, it's okay to ask for help. I still go to counseling individually now. Yeah. I've got life stuff going on. My, my mother's had Parkinson's for 14 years, right? She's deteriorating. It's hard to see, you know, it's really hard. And I don't know how to, my wife always says like, you never cry about that. You know, I want to, but I don't know how to. Right. So yeah. I still, I still go to counseling just to be able to talk with somebody. Right. That's a, uh, th that's I'm a great talking. answer, Elias. We, we, Bill Blank and I uh, started a series uh, two months ago about men's mental health. Kind of the same thing that, that what you just talked about. You can look at people's lives and look and, and think they're just going along great and they don't have any problems and so on. And, yeah. and uh, it maybe detours people from, getting help on their own. So, you know, to be open about that kind of stuff, that's that, that kind of fits right into what we talk about on that podcast is, you know, being able to be open about it and, and let other people see your vulnerability so that they can get help too. So it's okay. It's healthy. It, it You should. Nobody's, nobody's that tough. Like, right. I was a division one wrestler. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, I know I'm tough. I know I'm tough, but, um, it's it's up here that sometimes you, you're not that tough, right? You mm -hmm. got to be able to process things in a healthy way. And my big thing was just 
I got to be present for my kids and my wife who, who love me. And I have to be the best for them because they're job number one. Love my job. Love doing what I do. But it doesn't matter without them. Right. Yeah. So taking care of home and just being honest with yourself when you're not maybe feeling right. There's I've got this gal, Felisa, I talked to. Um, she's amazing. You know, she's able to call out the bull crap and I respect her. And uh, she's helped. She's helped us. In fact, I another couple that we know really well, they were having really serious marriage issues and, and they went to her and they're great now. They're great. And they know that they may have to go back someday too. You know, it's yeah. not like, it's not like, yeah. it's not like you get fixed too. It's not like, all right, now I feel great. I may feel, I may have new stuff that comes up next month. I may need to go back and talk to her again, you know? And so I think the realization that, you know, you're maybe not always, you're not always as tough as you think you are. And you don't, you don't have to be, Yeah. you don't have to be is the big thing too. Like it's a, there are people that can help you process things because you know, if you're not, you know, if it's things aren't going well. And my wife's dancing around in the background through my office window right now, making faces at me, acting like she's mooning me, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that's our life. But uh, I need to be the best person I can be for them. And, and I need help for that sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm not the greatest think, person in the world. I, I think I think mental health is health, and sometimes people forget about that. Uh, you probably go to the dentist once or twice a year, right? And you, you and you're not going to the and you're not going to the dentist because, uh, uh, oh yeah, no, no, it's kind of like when I lie to my dentist about how often I, I floss. Um, uh, but but the reason why you're going to that is not just for. Uh, oh, I have a toothache. I need to go to the, the dentist, right? You're going for maintenance and, and preventative maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people look at something like therapy, talking to a counselor, whatever, as like disaster recovery. And not everything is like some triage thing when it comes to mental health or your collective mental health as a couple or as a family. Uh, sometimes what that literally is is just doing the right thing for your health right and sometimes that means preventative maintenance sometimes that means i you know i do this so i don't end up in the emergency room someday with xyz health problem like it's hard for people to kind of get their their heads wrapped around that um and so i appreciate you being very open and honest because again as chris and i have said several times we're, we're very much advocates for for uh, that that mental hygiene is very important as well, but also just just to kind of talk about how how we um we all need to understand that uh, everyone is going through something. Yeah, everyone is going through something, and I a no one knows what I'm going through, right? So I don't give anyone else the courtesy that I expect them to give to me, and that's silly, but that's that's just the reality of the way our brains work. We're, we're, I'm not in your head. So the only thing I can think about are my own thoughts. Right. Um, so I really appreciate you saying the idea of get over yourself and just the idea of understanding that uh, all those things that we take for granted that, Oh, we know each other. We love each other. We know how to communicate. 
Well, no, no. <laughs> Every communication is one of those things that on the surface feels like it's really easy and it seems to be one of the hardest things to do. So finding help and finding other resources is always uh paramount to anything that's that is successful, whether that's telling a great news story, uh, whether that's trying to get through a podcast with Chris Shipley, uh, without making fun of him a billion times like it's hard what, what, yeah what you need like you you need to lean on others for success so you know and i brought I up uh, i brought up in some of those sessions too like i've, I've seen some trauma right yeah i've seen yeah. you know especially when i was in the pio office i talked about how cool it was you know going out and chasing down bad guys and stuff i've, I've also seen kids i saw a mother holding her dead child in an er after it was caught in a flash flood you know because i had to go there to try to communicate with the family the media are out there and i wanted to shield them um but you know i walked into a room that i wasn't prepared for right and i still remember what that was like and so i've seen i've seen a lot of even in news you know you go to a scene and it's it's rough and that it stays with you as much as you're just like it's just a job, you know. You cut yeah. it off. And I sure. look at our folks in law enforcement, and firefighters, and EMT that you know that God bless all of you that do that because you see things that you can't unsee, and it it affects you whether you think you can turn it off or not. And um, and it doesn't have to be something traumatic like that either, right? Even at work. Right there could be something that happens that just really affects you that changes your perspective on things in a negative way that you should talk to somebody about you know help you help you process help you process how you feel how you're feeling it because you're worth it right you're worth it you're worth it to 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 feel good and to try to understand and try to you know move forward it's always about moving forward that's one of my big things 100 percent uh, we're going to kind of switch gears and, and talk a little bit uh, fun stuff. And we know you're, you got to get out. I'm ready for that. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> what one of the interactions that you and I had on Twitter was, uh, I think, a tweet about uh, the best looking football stadiums uh, to watch a game from. And I think that's where I learned that you were um, uh, a graduate from Arizona State and, and that you were a big uh, Sun Devils. I actually lived in Phoenix uh, uh, when I was a freshman in high school, uh, probably a couple miles away from the ASU campus. So I'm no way, yep. So I'm quite I'm quite familiar with that. Um, I guess what I got to ask is is do you want them to come to the Big Twelve so that you can see your Sun Devils get their ass kicked in Cyclone Stadium and Jack Trice Stadium? <laughs> <laughs> How's that? You're such a dick. <laughs> 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 Mackenzie, could you please isolate that that uh, sound clip for me? Mackenzie's not on here. I'll, I'll isolate it for you. I, okay. uh, I'll pull it out for you. I, you know, I grew up a cyclone, right? My my dad went to vet school at ISU. My brother, who was four years older, went to ISU. My younger sister, two years younger, went to ISU. Uh, you know, my my path was different, and we already talked about that of why I went to Arizona State. Um, and. My mom did go to Iowa. We don't hold that against her. <laughs> He's a Cyclone fan, diehard. And it is hard. It is hard to grow up. You know, I still have more Iowa State stuff, I think, than Arizona State stuff. I do. 
but I wear Arizona State stuff a lot more than I wear Iowa State stuff. Whatever is going to help put that school, because I'm 100% in uh, at ASU, I kind of feel like they've been, you know, anybody in the Pac-12, it's like they've been all these other moves in the Big Ten and other conferences, and the Pac-12 has just kind of been, you know, just sitting there. Like, I don't know. I just don't see the – I don't see the moves or I kind of feel like they're going to be the next one to have to dissolve because I know they're trying, but you lose USC and you lose your, you know, you're losing your, your big money schools and ASU is one of them, but they're because our enrollment ASU, it was always when I was going to school there, Ohio state and Arizona state were the two number one and two enrollment, right? Overall enrollment, biggest schools in the NCAA. And for some reason, our, our athletics haven't been great, you know, other yeah. than wrestling. Wrestling's always been really good, but we're talking about, you know, revenue generating sports like football. Right. Like, gal, dang it. How How is it that you have one of the biggest universities in the country, but yet we're not in an even top 25 discussion, right? Um, yeah. And I think maybe that's why there hasn't been any invitations that have been public, right, about – Hey, why don't you come to this conference or whatever? Um, and what a great place to have a fan base come and go to a game. I mean, there there is no better environment than Sun Devil Stadium, tucked between two mountains, a mountain that we used to run up after weightlifting, and I've thrown up on two or three times. <laughs> I've thrown up just looking at that mountain, thinking. And it's not, it's not even that big of a mountain. I, I, I threw. I threw up on Camelback once. That's a that's a proper mountain though. That, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that, that's at least a real one. A mountain's like uh, pre-kindergarten compared to. You know, like, <laughs> it's like Tim size. It's like Tim size. Wow! <laughs> wow! Classy. You're not running um, up. You're not running up Camelback Mountain. No. Oh no! No, I tr I tried to. Well, that's funny because I someone was running way faster than me up Camelback, and they. Um, uh, we're in much better shape than I will ever hope to be. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I remember one time reading, cause I used to be more involved in the, the alumni chapter of the twin cities from Iowa state that uh, Phoenix has like the, I think it's like the third or fourth largest alumni population outside of Iowa. Oh yeah. It's from huge. Iowa state. Yeah. Iowa in general, just uh, snowbirds in general are, are, a huge population yeah. uh, down there. So, yeah. <clears throat> and a lot of that too is ASU. ASU was really early on with getting online, you know, online degrees. You yeah, ASU yeah. online, and a lot of people make fun of us for that. But, and it's the brunt. I hate that. You know, when you look at Family Guy or some of these movies, we're like, oh, Arizona State, you know, you got to have a pulse to get in. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I can't, I can't describe to you the experience that I had when I went there. I mean, it's summer year long, basically, right? You can, I mean, the weather is, you get over 300 days of sun a year. And when I was a senior, I lived at a apartment complex that was called Archstone. It's something else now, but Playboy magazine came because they used to come out with top party schools of yep. each oh, yeah, yeah. and we were the pack 10 back then. And that's, I date myself because I have a, you know, pack 10 championship ring and everybody's like pack 10, you know, it's like saying big eight. Oh yeah. <laughs> People are like, how old are you? And, but it was pack 10 and Playboy came to do their centerfold 
at our apartment complex. We had a waterfall feature in the pool. I was there for that. <laughs> um, he has the issue at home. <laughs> you know, about that is that, you know, we knew they were going to take a big picture. And so they brought the playmates out and they, they had football players that I'm five, seven. And <laughs> I wasn't tall enough. The water would have been here on me. Right? <laughs> I, was out. I still look good. I mean, I was, I was a chiseled machine, but uh, you had these big, you know, six, two to six, five guys. And you had these playmates on their shoulders. And of course they didn't have their tops on, but um, the big thing was like, Hey, let's get in the background. Cause all the students were on, on the, on the rock waterfall feature behind. And I was, I was kind of like one of the liaisons there. I was, I was pretty well known and, and I had a lot of really good friends there. And so I had a spot on the, on the waterfall cause I wanted to be in the picture, right? I wanted to be in the picture. And we had a, we had a beer bong and I said, how cool it'd be during the picture. Somebody doing a <laughs> beer bong. Like I'm not going to do the beer bong, but I'd love to hold the beer bong. And, and so we're there and we're getting ready. And <laughs> the guy that I was up there with who will remain nameless, um, he, 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 uh, we had it all loaded with the beer and, and he went too early. Right. <laughs> he, <laughs> so then it was like, well, it's gone, you know? So I panicked and I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to, it's right back here. And, and I, I jumped down and didn't realize how many people there were in the way. And so I ran back to try to get more beer to get back up and put in the beer bong so that we could take the picture. And by the time I got back, they'd already taken it. Oh, and so the, 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 the cover and I'll, I'll, I can find it, but there's a picture of everybody and there's just a guy holding an empty beer bong like this up in the air. And <laughs> I'm probably somewhere behind the rock, just pushing people like, get out of my way. Um, but that was my, that was my college experience. And, and I, uh, you know, I, I always, I did get good grades. I was an all academic, like I was not a dumb kid. I still studied and stuff. I did have some friends that went on spring break and never came back too, though. <laughs> so it was a cool university because it's such a collective of other people from other states. There's not a lot of yeah. students from Phoenix proper that go to ASU. Yeah. yeah. The majority of the student body is from Ohio, Minnesota, everywhere you can think of. And, but they all love to go there because it's such a cool place to go. And everybody else that's there, I feel like they're kind of over it and they end up going to, for a lot of them, they go to U of A, which is disgusting. But yeah, <laughs> somewhere in there is a joke about going early and a bunch of Playboy uh, playmates. But we'll let that. Oh move. my goodness! Okay, um, I want to get into our our last segment so we can let you go. Yes. Um, we do have a, a segment on here, uh, brought to us by our friend Steph Copley. Uh, Chris, I will go ahead and let you introduce this segment. So Steph Copley uh, from Cyclone Fanatic and and uh, the We Will Collective, she was on the podcast. And again, as usual, as you can tell, Elias, Tim never shuts up. So uh, Steph told Tim and I that we had to STFU while she had something to say. Uh, we decided to sponsor that in a weird way. So we're going to play a little ad, have a little QR code. If you feel the need, scan that code if you're watching it. Uh, and we'll have a link in the um in the bio to donate to the Young Women's Resource Center in honor of Steph Copley. And then when we come back, Tim and I will shut the F up and you get to say whatever you want and we can't say a word. So we'll be right back. 
Hey everybody, it's Steph Copley, the woman behind the STFU segment on the Old Man Strength Podcast. When I told the guys I wanted to sponsor this segment, they recommended that I make a charitable donation instead, so that's what I did. I chose the Young Women's Resource Center in Des Moines, Iowa. They're a nonprofit that supports, educates, and advocates for girls and young women ages 10 to 24. Their whole goal is to make sure that these young women become strong, self-confident, and successful. And if you know me at all, you know that aligns with my goals as well. If you're interested and would like to donate, check them out at ywrc.com org and donate today and remember don't forget to stfu and listen every once in a while thanks all right elias the floor is yours tim and i will shut the f up and you say whatever you want without us being able to say anything well now that i have the floor about time (laughs) um you know i uh, number one i appreciate you guys reaching out um I love to I love to engage with people and uh, and to have an impact. That's the the biggest thing that I think is uh, what I do. Um, I'm a big advice guy. I'm a big um, just through pers- personal experience. I love working with kids mostly. Um, I just can't understate how important it is not to be a jerk to people as you're growing up. Um, I'm going to be going back to Manson here in a little less than a month for senior awards night to give out a $10,000 check and a scholarship that I do a golf tournament for. And, and I always tell the kids the same thing. I go, you know, you, this is like your last chance to hit the reset button. If uh, you know, you are a jerk or a bully, or you maybe should have helped somebody out and you didn't like you get the slate clean. You don't get that chance a whole lot in your life maybe after college you get that again but you'll you your best chance to start a a new on the foundation you have is to uh start now and um and that's the, the great thing about getting older and moving to new places and, and meeting new people and i've had the opportunity to do that through my career whether it be here phoenix or reno or even back here again um I've made mistakes along the way too about, you know, how I've treated people. I've never been, you know, somebody I think people wouldn't want to be around, but you can always be better and you can always be better to those around you and and always think of a way to mentor people. Uh, And to my family, um, God, I wish I, I'm not, I'm not complacent anymore when it comes to my duties as a, as a father and a husband. Uh, But I think career goals and, Things that impacted me were um, were something that um, I miss. I missed out on some time, you know, and I can't get that back. But what I can do now is is be there. You know, I've got a kid that's going to be a freshman in high school this next year. I've got a daughter going to be a in junior high this next year, and then this is my last year with my four year old before she goes to kindergarten after this year. And so I've got three pivotal moves in in my life with my kids that are so important and a lot of the reasons i've been able to reset is because i've asked for help i know that i could be better and luckily i've got an amazing wife who reminds me when i need to do that um (laughs) arizona state is still the best college in the country i'll say that without any qualms because i know it i've lived it uh and get out and see the world. That's that's the other big thing I like to tell people. Uh, the best decision I ever made. I would love. I, I could have fit in right at home at Ames, 
uh, and, and been a proud cyclone. But um, my experience just cutting the cord, man, and moving away was huge. Um, in, in seeing the world and meet new people that I'm still very close with. Um, and your network is so important with that. I've got people that I knew in college that still bring me back for, for consulting in, in, in different ways. But, uh, you know, just, just be a positive, good person as much as you can, uh, be the person that people can lean on, even when you don't feel like you got a leg to stand on, you know, like every, every interaction you have with a person, whether it be a person that's parked next to you at a red light, or somebody you're sitting next to at the bank, you know, you might, that might be their worst day and something you say or do could change their course. You know, um, I think about that stuff a lot. Um, and so I just, I, I try to live that every day. I just try to be a positive force that people remember for all the right reasons. Um, doesn't always happen and everybody's got bad days, but got to get over yourself. You know, you got to get over yourself and know that there's a bigger picture, bigger plan. Um, be a good memory. Be a good memory. Um, I do this golf tournament every year in June. Um, and that's my big spiel every year is like, you know what? We get one weekend. This is our weekend to laugh, to shoot them up, whatever we want to do. Um, just make sure that when you're laughing with somebody, you lock yourself in that moment as much as you do when something bad happens and all you are is consumed with that consume yourself with those positive people and those moments you have with others, because that is what gets you through the really crappy times. Um, and I feel like we need to do a better job of that. I, I, I've been working on that for years now is lose yourself in the moment as Eminem said, right? <laughs> there you go. Lose yourself, not in the bad stuff. You know, lose yourself in the good stuff. Don't take those for granted because the, the negative stuff always, always is stuff that you remember more than the positive stuff. So, you know, and that's my spiel to people is it's like, this is, this is our moment, you know, to just have fun, just laugh, just laugh, give. And when you hug somebody, think about how much you're squeezing them, you know, or you give somebody a high five, you know, just, just uh, live in those moments as much as you do with stuff that's not so great that you, you definitely don't forget. Excellent. Wow. That's, uh, that's a lot of really good, uh, really good advice. I did a career day recently with middle schoolers and aside from them thinking that I was 65 years old, um, <laughs> I, I, I told them uh, when I told them, uh, how long it had been since I'd been in middle school. And it, it like the second I even just referenced the, the 1900s at all, but to say like 1991 and they were like, the, their jaws hit the floor and they thought I was a billionaire. You remember the Oregon trail? Yeah, exactly. They, they, yeah. They just had questions about the civil war. <laughs> but, uh, so what was it like at the founding of America? Um, no, but, uh, that's a uh, much more smart and articulate. I really like what you just, um, be a good memory. I think yeah. that's, you know, what's cool is that, uh, coming up here, not this Monday, but next Monday, uh, I do bus stop, Dad. So all the kids, like where we're parked, all the kids are, that's the bus stop. And so mm -hmm. uh, Bacon Fest, Brooks Reynolds and I are pretty good buddies. They're going to come out with Berkwood Farms. Because I always, I try to make bacon for the kids every once in a while. Mm. Shoot hoops. I bring out music every morning um, just to get them going on a good day. We're uh, we're going to prep some bacon for the neighborhood and 
just have something fun for the kids. And uh, I try to do that every day because my daughter is at the bus stop and then my son goes an hour before that for middle school. But uh, it's just trying to practice what you preach with like, you know, having good moments. It's like start these kids off on a high note and then send them down from there. So there'll, there'll be some awesome videos posted about that and um, hashtag bus stop dad. Fun. Nice. Yeah, I was gonna. Well, I, I was gonna ask: Is there anything that you would like to plug before we let you go? No, I just. Uh, you can follow me at E Johnson News on Twitter. I, you know, kind of an open book with all the stuff I've talked about here with there, and uh, I love the engagement. I love when people reach out and uh, ask me questions or have feedback. Sometimes it's not great feedback, but uh, you know, <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I don't know well, what the ties I wear. It's trying to go off my coat. <laughs> I found you. I found you really approachable. That was kind of the the, the point of, of of asking you on was because you are so much of an interactive and 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 you give people time and and that's something that I appreciated. So uh, I appreciate you coming on, Elias. It's been a blast. I appreciate the opportunity to just just talk about life and and stuff, right? Because we all like to say that's that. right. One of these days we'll hook up. We'll hook back up down at Rob's uh, down at Revelton and we'll have a drink. So all right. He was he was down there at the. Uh, at the the rye uh, launch, and I I think I missed you by like a half an hour. I might have been there while you were there. Oh, and I so, that's a shame. Yeah. No, well, he was lucky. Hey, as long as I could, I was there before the doors opened. There you go. I, he heard you were coming in the room and you immediately got the heck out of there. Okay, we gotta go. We gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no uh, last again, I I echo what Chris said. Um, very grateful for you coming on. We very much appreciate it uh this humble little podcast um sharing your story and, and sharing your wisdom with our listeners uh very much appreciate that i and with that chris if, unless there's anything else you want to add i'll go and wrap us up let's go we're good all right well again we thank you guys once again for listening to old man strength you have now wasted the better part of two hours listening to us. Uh, we very much appreciate that. Please listen to all of the podcasts on the three beards media. There have been some really great ones lately. Uh, the fill in the blank pod. Um, Anya is such a great host and Mackenzie is just fantastic. I uh, listening to uh, the, <laughs> the hot mess happy hour argue about the importance of a flat sheet on a bed uh is worth it alone a lot of great stuff going on within our universe so many more things please check out the website please go ahead if if you want to support us through purchasing merch please we we uh appreciate that and again a thank you to our our sponsors with with Revelton Distilling and, and Kyle Lehman at Wintrust and of course Betfred Sportsbook very excited to have them on and with that folks Thank you very much. We will see you guys next time.